But going it alone means going it with lots of other nations. No. No, it doesn't. Going it alone means going it alone. Oh, well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Is he insane? I got the feeling that something right. He might be insane. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in Pacifica the Radio in Los Angeles, this is... The broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and a whole bunch of other terrestrial stations these days, and coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, And Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Welcome, one and all, to the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com once again with a, uh, how do you put it, Des, a five-pound We're trying show. to stuff a ten-pound show into a one-pound bag. As we do. That is, of course, <laughs> Desi Doyen. Uh, so we're all here. We're all on board. Uh, b- boy, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> lots of news today. Lots of news. So let's just start here. The United States has dropped a massive GBU-43 bomb the largest non-nuclear bomb it has ever used in combat in eastern Afghanistan on Thursday against a series of caves that'll show those caves that are used by uh, Islamic State militants, according to the military. It was the first time the U.S. has used this size of a bomb in a conflict. It was dropped close to the border with Pakistan, Pentagon spokesman Adam Stump said, according to Reuters. Also known as the mother of all bombs, the GBU-43 is a 21,600-pound GPS-guided munition. And for frame of reference, it's about as big as a rail car. Really? Yeah. It was first tested in March of 2003, just days before the start of the Iraq War, but now is the first time we're using it. The security situation in Afghanistan remains precarious, says Reuters, with a number of militant militant groups trying to claim territory more than 15 years. 15 years now after the uh, after the U.S. invaded uh, invaded Afghanistan, toppled the Taliban government back then. It was not clear how much damage the device used today uh, actually caused. Last week, a U.S. soldier was killed in the same region that the bomb was dropped while uh, conducting operations against the Islamic State. U.S. officials have said they believe 
the uh, the movement, the ISIS uh, movement in Afghanistan has only 700 fighters. Afghan officials estimate, however, there's about 1,500 fighters. The Afghan Taliban, which is trying to overthrow the U.S.-backed government in Kabul, are fiercely opposed to the Islamic State, to ISIS, and the two groups have clashed as they seek to expand territory and influence. So ISIS is fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan. We are apparently fighting both of them. If you're keeping score at home, as I noted, we have been at war for 15 years in Afghanistan. That is the longest war by far in U.S. history. And uh, if today's news is any indication, we have no intention of getting out anytime soon. President Obama increased our efforts there in Afghanistan. Now President Trump has increased that further, apparently. And the groups that we went to war, uh, that, that we went in to fight in the first place, the Taliban and al-Qaeda, they're both still there. And they're both still fighting each other and us. And, of course, the conflict has, uh, has spread across neighboring countries from Syria to Yemen to Libya. But other than that, this whole war thing is going very, very well, wouldn't you say, Des? Uh, <laughs> and the conflict has spread across the Middle East. It's yep. almost as if, gosh, somebody might have predicted that. It's Well, you know who it's going well for? It's going well for the defense contractors. They may be the only ones, I think, at this point who it is go who is going well for. Uh, exiled U.S. whistleblower Edward Snowden tweeted in response to the news today by citing a quote from President Dwight Eisenhower's speech to the American Society of Newspaper Editors. Back in April of 1953, Snowden used the text... U.S. President and Army General Dwight D. Eisenhower on dropping $16 million bombs on caves in the middle of nowhere. Here's the quote. Every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and not clothed. This world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. This is not a way of life at all in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, warning about where we were headed uh, back in 1953. Nonetheless, I suppose... Uh, if I was an adversarial nation right now looking to flex my own muscles through a military show of force, I could look to the U.S. over the past week with our bombing uh, a sovereign nation in Syria, in that case, with 60 rockets said to cost between uh, half a million and a million and a half each, with no apparent strategy there in Syria other than bombing them for bombing's sake, it seems. And, of course, today now dropping the most destructive non-nuclear weapon ever used in combat on planet Earth. But other than that, the uh, U.S. peacekeeping efforts are, are going very well around the globe. If you're worried about Donald Trump as commander-in-chief, no worries. We have, uh, we have very competent folks, we are told, in charge of the U.S. military who are certain to keep Donald Trump in check. And our, uh, our military efforts will stay on target well, maybe not. As we learned again today, according to AP, a misdirected airstrike by the U.S.-led coalition 
uh, in Syria this week killed 18 allied fighters battling the Islamic State or ISIS group in in northern Syria, according to the U.S. military on Thursday. U.S. Central Command said coalition aircraft were given the wrong coordinates by their partner forces, the predominantly Kurdish Syrian Democratic Forces or SDF. For a strike that was intended to uh, to uh, to target ISIS militants near the extremist group's de facto capital of Raqqa, the strike hit an SDF position instead and uh, killed 18 of those SDF forces. Several nations have lent their air power to the U.S.-led coalition to defeat the Islamic State group, but it was not clear which air force was behind the strike. The Britain-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said 25 SDF fighters have been killed uh, in the last two days of battle, uh, including that uh, attack by an allied uh, fight of uh, by allied fighters. Apparently, the SDF is a coalition of Arab and Kurdish fighters. It's considered by the U.S. to be the most effective local fighting force against ISIS, according to the Hills' Rebecca Keel today. The, uh, the SDF, with U.S.-led air and ground support, is working toward reclaiming Raqqa from ISIS. Remember, we have, the U.S. has boots on the ground in Syria, no matter what D Donald Trump likes to say. He keeps saying, we're not going into Syria, we're not going into Syria. We are already in Syria with boots on the ground. Tuesday's strike that went awry was apparently requested by, uh, quote, partnered forces, according to the coalition. They had identified the target as an ISIS fighting position, the statement said. But the target was actually a forward SDF fighting position. The coalition is assessing the cause of the incident and will implement appropriate safeguards, reports The Hill, to prevent future incidents. Uh, but the incident could reignite questions about the process for calling in airstrikes that were raised after a spate of reported civilian casualties in both Syria and Iraq last month, just last month, including a U.S. airstrike in Mosul in Iraq that reportedly resulted in the deaths of some 200 civilians. Uh, so um, war is hard. War is difficult even when it goes well, which, uh, frankly, in and of itself is a difficult thing for me to even consider war going well, since war I, is almost always illegal and immoral. But, yeah, war is hard when you have a competent commander in chief, which brings me to Donald Trump again and the U.S. Navy strike group that is said to be heading towards the Korean Peninsula amidst all of this. And receiving, frankly, uh, shockingly little attention, uh, or at least less attention than I think it deserves right now with an unstable, unqualified president. I'm talking about the president of the United States seemingly lashing out all over the world now and now uh, threatening the nuclear armed North Korea with its own unstable leader. But even if you're not worried about Kim Jong-un's uh, use of nuclear weapons in North Korea, there's still plenty of reason to be concerned, as we have learned again today. Uh, at least those paying attention here have learned. Japanese uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe warned on Thursday that North Korea may be capable of firing a missile 
loaded with sarin nerve gas towards Japan as international concerns mount that a missile or nuclear test by the authoritarian state could be imminent, says AP. Abe told a parliamentary panel on national security and diplomacy that there is a possibility that North Korea is already capable of shooting missiles with sarin as warheads. You remember uh, earlier in the week uh, we we spoke with Voice of America's Steve Herman, who had been reporting from uh, Asia for for decades before moving to the White House. And he said, well, don't worry about, uh, you know, nuclear warheads on missiles. They don't yet have the uh, don't yet have the technology for that, at least for long range nuclear missiles. But um, Abe today talking about the idea of using sarin on those missiles against Japan. He was responding to a question about Japan's readiness at a time of increased regional tensions. Uh, A U.S. Navy aircraft, as I noted, is uh, an aircraft carrier, I should say, is heading toward that Korean peninsula as Pyongyang prepares for the 105th anniversary of the birth of its founder, Kim Il-sung, this weekend. And with U.S.-South Korean war games ongoing, North Korea has intensified rhetoric, warning that it would retaliate strongly against any aggression. South Korea has long said it believes the North can conduct its sixth nuclear test whenever it chooses. The uh, the, uh, 38 North website, which monitors North Korea, said the satellite imagery of the country's uh, Pyongyang-ri nuclear test site suggests it is, quote, primed and ready for an explosion. Researchers uh, Joe Bermudez and Jack Liu wrote that images taken on Wednesday continued show continued activity around the site's north portal, as well as personnel and pallets of equipment or supplies in the main administrative area. North Korea, which never signed the International Chemical Weapons Convention, is believed to have up to 5,000 tons of chemical weapons, according to a South Korean defense white paper though the North has never acknowledged it. Uh, Experts uh, say that if North Korea were to attack South Korea, it would likely target Seoul's defenses with chemical and biological weapons dropped from aircrafts or delivered via missiles, artillery, or grenades. Japan's Abe cited Syria, where dozens of people died recently in an alleged sarin nerve gas attack as an example that Japan should take seriously, stressing the need to strengthen deterrence against the North. Later on Thursday, Abe called a National Security Council meeting to analyze the latest North Korean developments uh, and ways to respond in case a uh, pro- in, in the case of a provocation from Pyongyang. With President Donald Trump's administration not ruling out a military option to deal with North Korea, he said tension is certainly rising. Uh, He said that to a group of lawmakers on Wednesday from a group of lawmakers from his uh, ruling party who sought increased safety measures for for Japan in case of a national emergency. And as if all of that is not already disturbing enough. Uh, you know, as if the idea that North Korea might respond to, uh, well, Donald Trump's aggression with his strike force uh, with chemical weapons, if not nuclear weapons. Uh, but even if even if that doesn't happen, uh, Alexander Zhibin, director of the Center of South Korean Studies at the Russian Academy of Sciences today, is quoted 
noting that, um, quote, approximately 30 nuclear power plants are operational in South Korea. Several of them could be destroyed even if conventional bombs and shells are used. This could lead to five to six Chernobyl-type disasters on a relatively small area of 99 square kilometers that could instantly turn into a place unsuitable for life. So there's that. I am nothing but cheery today, huh? <laughs> I got nothing but good news today, don't I? I you know, I... Uh, and listen, I'm sorry to, to to report all of this news, but it seems like it should be reported. It seems like we ought to be paying a lot more attention to what Trump uh, seems to be doing uh, on the Korean Peninsula at this point. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just you know, we're, there's a lot of other stuff I understand, oh, yeah, I appreciate. There's a lot this of stuff to cover, but when we're talking about uh, chemical or nuclear war. I, Seems it, like attention should be paid to some of these things, so we're paying attention to Attention them. must be paid, <laughs> uh, especially with this particular president. Uh, so all of this, once again, brings me back to Donald Trump. And, you know, well, over the last 24 to 48 hours, uh, the question comes to my mind, is he insane? And I'm not kidding. Uh, AP reports President Donald Trump hasn't been in the White House for 100 days, yet he's already reversed himself on many, many of his key campaign promises. In several interviews this week, the president has forged new positions on topics ranging from NATO to Chinese currency manipulation to the U.S. Federal Reserve and more. These uh, flip-flops come as other campaign promises lag, including Trump's vow to build a concrete wall along the length of the southern border and have Mexico pay for it. And yet Trump tweeted on Wednesday evening, one by one we are keeping our promises on the border, on energy, on jobs, on regulations. Big changes are happening. So here are some of just just a few of the areas where Trump has really within the past 24 hours or so completely changed his positions. Now, in several cases, I should add, he has changed his positions for the better, uh, frankly. But it, his ability to completely flip positions after years of arguing one case only to now argue the complete opposite case is kind of troubling and and destabilizing at least to me if if nobody else if nothing else on nato for example uh i noted yesterday on the show that uh, trump had announced after years of charging that nato was obsolete uh that once he had the secretary general of nato standing by his side yesterday he declared that nato was no longer obsolete Here's Trump, both uh, both during the campaign last year, talking about NATO being obsolete, and then his statement with the Secretary General of NATO standing by his side yesterday. NATO is obsolete. It was 67 years, or it's over 60 years old. Uh, it is many countries doesn't cover terrorism. Okay, it covers the Soviet Union, uh, which is no longer in existence, and NATO has to either be rejiggered, rechanged, or you know, changed. For the better. The Secretary General and I had a productive discussion about what more NATO can do in the fight against terrorism. I complained about that a long time ago, and they made a change. And now they do fight terrorism. I said it was obsolete. It's no longer obsolete. 
Now, Trump has made that claim before about NATO uh, and about terrorism, uh, particularly during the presidential campaign, that they weren't doing anything on terrorism. Uh, and and then he said he deserved credit, for example, for the creation of the uh, Assistant Secretary General for Intelligence at NATO. Uh, back in June, he told Bloomberg that it was, quote, all because of me. An unnamed NATO official told Politico a few days later, this was last uh, last summer, that the Post uh, had been in the works for some time and there's no connection whatsoever to the national election campaign. And yet he is or at least was delusional enough to think that this was all because of him, all because of something that he said. Days before uh, assuming the presidency in January, Trump told the Times of London and the German Bild newspaper that, quote, I took such heat when I said NATO was obsolete and it's obsolete because it wasn't taking care of terror. I took a lot of heat for two days and then they started saying Trump is right. So <laughs> even days before he became president, he was still saying he was still delusional. Well, he was still delusional. <laughs> he was still saying that uh, that NATO was obsolete. Right. And that they weren't fighting terror, that they weren't doing anything about terror. But NATO has been involved in the U.S.'s so-called war on terror as long as the U.S. has been involved in the U.S.'s war on terror. Talking Points Memos' uh, uh, Matt Shuham notes that right after 9-11, NATO invoked Article 5 of its founding treaty out of solidarity with the U.S. and that thousands of NATO personnel have been since then, since 9-11. 9-11, uh, that was 2011, 15, about 15 years ago, if my math I mean, correct. 2001, I'm 15 sorry, 2001, years ago, yes. Yeah. Uh, 9-11 in 2001, yeah, 16 years. Uh, since then, thousands of NATO personnel have been uh, on the ground in Afghanistan, supporting the country's security forces there and elsewhere around the world. So so he flipped on NATO. Insulted our allies. In the bargain. Yep. Uh, and uh, on, here's a couple of other points on U.S. military prowess. AP notes that uh, the man who once slammed the U.S. military as a disaster is now singing its praises now that he's in charge of it. In an interview on Fox Business Network's uh, Maria Bartiroma, uh, with her that aired on Wednesday morning, Trump talked up U.S. military strength. He sounded almost in awe of its prowess. Quote, it's so incredible. It's brilliant. It's genius. Our technology, our equipment is better than anybody by a factor of five. I mean, look, we have in terms of technology, nobody can even come close to competing. Uh, he's probably well, he's certainly true. Uh, he's certainly correct there. But just a couple of months ago, Trump was bemoaning the military's uh, state across the country during the campaign. Quote, we're going to rebuild our military. Our military is in shambles, he said last April in uh, Delaware. We're going to make it so big, so strong, so powerful. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Yes, he said that three times is going to mess with us, folks. Uh, now, uh, he's been president for, where are we now, six weeks, six, seven weeks, <laughs> not even 100 days, uh, and the military is the best thing ever, I guess, thanks to him. Well, at least he's noted uh, noticed uh, our, our military capabilities. Um, 
And apparently now he's he's noticed uh, China as well. Here's another place where he's flipped. During his in just the past day, during his campaign, Trump insisted that one of his first acts as president would be to direct his Treasury Secretary to label China a currency manipulator as part of a contract with American voters that he pledged to fulfill. Yet only days ago, in an interview with the Financial Times, Trump reiterated that campaign pledge. Uh, he said, uh, you know, when you talk about when you talk about currency manipulation, when you talk about devaluations, they are world champions, he said about China. And our country hasn't had a clue. They haven't had a clue. But by Wednesday, apparently something changed. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal, Trump declared point blank, quote, they're not currency manipulators. Trump said in the interview that the Treasury Department would not label China a manipulator in an April 15 report to Congress on exchange rates of the U.S. Uh, and their major trading partners that despite repeated and vociferous promises during the presidential campaign to do so, according to the uh, to the paper. Wall Street Journal, Trump said that uh, that that was because China had not devalued its currency for months. They're not currency manipulators, he said. However, there is broad agreement among experts that China has not devalued its currency, as Trump claimed during the campaign for years. In fact, the country is attempting to prop up its currency to keep the dollar from becoming too strong there. Trump also said that uh, naming China a currency manipulator and this is the important part, I think, could jeopardize his efforts to work with the country to combat the threat posed by North Korea. And on this point, here's where it gets, I guess, the most troubling of all, because it hasn't been nearly troubling enough yet. Uh, Zach uh, uh, Bouchamp uh, explains over at Vox.com last night that uh, President Donald Trump recounted an absolutely astounding detail about one of his conversations with Chinese President Xi Jinping in comments uh, that were published by The Wall Street Journal on Wednesday afternoon. Apparently, Trump came into his first meeting with the Chinese leader in early April, convinced that China could simply eliminate the threat posed by North Korea's nuclear program. Xi then patiently explained Chinese-Korean history to Trump who then promptly changed his mind about the whole thing. After, uh, he said, after listening for 10 minutes, I realized it's not so easy. I felt pretty strong that they had a tremendous power over North Korea, but it's not what you would think. This after a 10-minute conversation with the president of China, after going on and on and on for the past year or two during the campaign uh, about China, about China not doing enough to stop North Korea, um, and saying suddenly, oh, it, it's not quite as, uh, it's more complicated than I thought. Uh, and a lot of people are stunned here. I'm not the only one. Anderson Cooper last night on uh, CNN, he, here was his response to this. President Trump said in the Wall Street Journal today that after listening to the Chinese president explain the history of China and North Korea for about 10 minutes, he, quote, realized it's not so easy. I mean, is that I, 
I gotta say, I'm speechless. I really am speechless. I don't know why I'm reacting like this. But he said the same thing about healthcare. Well, I know. Yes, of course. It's exactly what he said about healthcare that nobody knew healthcare could be so complicated. But you know what? Actually, a lot of people did. In fact, pretty much everybody knew it was really, really complicated. Do you worry, though, that he has no real positions? That Basically, he, he bends one way or the other, depending on who the last person you think? who gave him a 10-minute lecture on the history of, you know, some country. Is. Yeah, you think? I mean, the, the, the NATO guy was here today, and so now NATO's indispensable. But when the NATO guy leaves, is that still going to be the position? Who knows? Who knows? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows nothing. From day to day, nobody knows nothing, including Donald Trump, who doesn't even know his own position. And yet... We are sending a strike force, a carrier group, to the Korean Peninsula to face off with nuclear-armed North Korea. Now, uh, Zach Bouchamp uh, over at uh, Vox had a few observations about those comments on China. He said, uh, one, Trump thought China could fix North Korea until the Chinese president politely informed him that North Korea is, in fact, complicated. Two, Trump seems to have required the leader of China to explain basic facts to him that he could have Googled or at least ask one of many U.S. government North Korea experts about. Now, I would add uh, the, the uh, State Department has been absolutely gutted. So many of the experts, it's unclear to me how many experts are even there anymore at the State Department, much less that uh, Donald Trump actually bothers to go and discuss these issues with. State Department is just completely hollowed out. But, you know, who knows? Maybe that's fine. Maybe, uh, you know, Trump wouldn't bother to talk to them anyway. So who cares? Back to Bouchamp here, number three, Trump came to a profound realization about one of the most dangerous conflicts on Earth after a 10-minute conversation. And number four, Trump is getting his information about East Asian affairs from the leader of America's largest rival in the region. Feeling better yet? Zach also goes on to note that around the same time the journal pub, uh, piece was published, North Korea informed reporters to prepare for a, quote, big and important event, with initial reports suggesting that Pyongyang is planning to test a nuclear device for just the sixth time in the country's history. No word on how the Trump administration plans to respond. So again, I would ask... Um, and I know it's impolite. I know it's impolitic. But, uh, you know, I'm really wondering, is Trump insane? I, I, you know, I really think he may just be insane. Uh, you know what? But maybe not. Maybe I should be happy uh, that he's, re you know, he reportedly uh, he's, he's now so said to be pushing the Steve Bannon wing out of the White House and the Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump wing uh, the the Jivanka wing, as they're calling it now, uh, somehow or anyway, uh, said to be ascendant in Trump's so far failed White House. Maybe they're trying to talk some sense into him. Maybe I should feel good about that. But then today, just today, he tweets the following, quote, I have great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea. If they are unable to do so, the U.S. with its allies will. USA, he added at the end. So he's still threatening them, despite what he was told by the uh, by the Chinese president, prime minister. 
I posted a poll to my uh, Twitter followers last night as I was reading through all of this, trying to make sense of it very late last night. Uh, and it's you can still ring in if you want. The poll is still running. Is Donald Trump insane? <laughs> yes or no? Uh, as of right now, well, you know what? I don't want to skew the poll any more than it's already skewed by those uh, those haters who follow me. So uh, yeah, go to the poll. You're set. You can take it at twitter.com slash the Brad blog and you can vote for yourself whether uh, Donald Trump is insane or not. I'll try to remember to read the results uh, tomorrow. After, I think the poll ends around midnight Pacific time tonight. But of course, even if Trump is not insane. Uh, and and somehow this means that he's coming to his senses, this these wild uh, change of positions over the past 24 hours. That doesn't mean that any of his cabinet appointees that who are already in place, that they'll come around to their senses. We will talk about that next on the Bradcast. Take a breather. I will. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. Maybe so. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, let's, let's, uh, I want to uh, cheer myself up and everybody else up. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, instead of talking about an international thermonuclear war for a few minutes, uh, well, let's talk about the EPA. Oh, gosh, that's awesome. See, uh, you know, you know how bad things are when we have to go to the EPA to uh, feel better about things. Even if Donald Trump is crazy or incredibly uninformed or incredibly misinformed, uh, but maybe, who knows, now maybe being positively influenced to flip on many of his craziest positions by uh, by Jared Kushner and and Gary Cohn and Ivanka Trump, as is being reported, uh, his incredibly misinformed and or dishonest cabinet secretaries, they're already in place. And they seem to be working and, and, and trying to damage as much as possible. Scott Pruitt, former Oklahoma attorney general and EPA enemy, who now heads the EPA, was on he was on Fox News today. I think was this today? Yeah, this is earlier today. Uh, well, on Fox and Friends. Uh, so he was on Fox where they believe that the U.N.'s 
Paris Climate Agreement, the largest international agreement ever signed uh, to reduce carbon emissions across the globe. Two hundred. Well, how many? Do you remember how many? Uh, uh, it's one hundred ninety-two countries. countries. Including the United States, India, and China. In hopes of slowing climate change and global warming. They believe over there on Fox News that it's a hoax. We have to get out of it. We have to pull out of the Paris Agreement. It's harming the U.S. U.S. should unilaterally pull out of this worldwide agreement. At least that's what they think over on Fox News. And so their viewers... Donald Trump, no doubt among them, that's what they believe as well. Here's uh, here's Scott Pruitt, EPA administrator, being asked about it by the geniuses on Fox and Friends this morning. Right, let's also talk about the Paris Agreement. Are we on the path to get, getting out of that? Well, Paris uh, is something that we need to really look at closely because it, 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 it's something we need to exit, in my opinion. Uh, it's a bad deal for America. It was an America's second, third, or fourth kind of approach. China and India had no obligations under the agreement until 2030. We front-loaded no. all of our costs. What's your biggest job? objection to the Paris Agreement? That, that America was put last. That the previous administration went into Paris and said that uh, China and India had no obligations until 2030 Wrong. and America was going to cost itself jobs as it relates to the obligations there. And that's so crazy because that's just a flat out lie. I mean, that's insane. But that's what gets put out on the airwaves by Fox and Friends and all the talk radio folks on our public airwaves. That is not true. Yes, there is a deadline, a special deadline for China and India and other developing countries to reduce their emissions. They get a little bit later because they have to well, pull so much harder to get their their people out of poverty. But they have to actually meet, uh, yeah, correct, this is, but, this and, but is they have to goal. meet those goals by twenty. 30. Right, which uh, means they have to actually get there by 2030. They have to do stuff in the meantime. I don't know why that is such a difficult concept for Pruitt to grasp. Well, in reality, he's not. He, he grasps it. He knows what he's saying. He knows what he's saying is a lie. He doesn't want to grasp it. Right. right. And he wants to continue this lie. Uh, Media Matters points out Fox and Friends uh, he had failed to point out that 2030 is the year by which China and India must meet their emissions reduction goals, a target that would uh, that clearly would require earlier action. In order to meet those targets, they note, India is aiming to get 40 percent of its electricity from renewable sources by 2030. In other words, it will be already in place. And and this would be a uh, one climate expert, they say, called uh, that achievement to do that by 2030 to get 40 percent of their electricity from renewable sources. That would be, quote, nothing less than gargantuan. Similarly, China plans to ingress. Maybe uh, I hope uh, the, uh, the President Xi explained this to Donald Trump. It, maybe he took, you know, 10 minutes. Uh, when he wasn't talking about the North Korea to say, hey, on uh, on the Paris Agreement, they plan to increase their share of non-fossil fuel energy from 11 percent to 20 percent above the uh, 2005 level uh, and lower its emissions per unit of GDP within the range of 60 to 65 percent below the 2005 level by 2030. Which means they'll already be there by 2030. They have to do stuff in the meantime. They're also going to roll out that national cap and trade program that they've got. That's the one where they put a cap on how much pollution their industries are allowed to pollute. And then they give them allowances and say, OK, you get this much. If you do better than that, you can sell your, your remaining allowance to somebody else. That's a cap and trade market based system that has worked the world over 
definitely it's got some issues and stuff in different places, but that's what China's doing. They're going to do a national cap and trade. We can't even get that here in the United States. So, you know, you can be against, I guess, you can be against the Paris Agreement. You can be a denier of, uh, of, of facts of, of, you know, climate change and global warming if you want to. Or you can make the case why these things aren't true. But for the EPA administrator to go on TV and just blatantly lie about it, just blatantly lie. I, well, there's a couple. Can I make yeah. a couple of yeah, more yeah, notes about this? Okay, so one, of, do. one of the things that Scott Pruitt also said in this is that he said that we are front loading our commitment that the United States made all the gain, made all the promises in the front and then that and we have to pay for true? it in the front. Well, basically, we did do a greater commitment than China and India because we said we're going to lower our reduction, our emissions by 20 to 20, 26 to 28 percent by 2020. And we're already on track to do that. We didn't actually have to do much of anything at all to already be on track to meet our commitments because we're already lowering we're already lowering our emissions you know by the fact that you know with the cheaper natural gas and cheaper renewables coal is falling by the wayside around the world but it's really really took a hit here in the united states and that's why our emissions have fallen that's why we're already on track to meet our paris commitments with really not doing much of anything all we really need to do was just not mess up what we were doing and guess what we're doing we're messing up what we were doing, because now the EPA and Scott Pruitt and Trump and the Bureau of Land Management and the Interior Department and the Department of Energy are all trying to roll back those gains that we made, those regulations that we had put into place that have set us on this path to sort of, you know, a glide path down. You know, they're not they're trying to reverse the the work that we know it's hurting done. us it's killing us it's harming the u.s well, our, actually, our economy is a disaster actually it is harming us but it, not in the way that scott pruitt means the way that it's harming us is that it's allowing china and germany and india to take the lead in clean mm, energy yeah. we're going to be losing that yep. lead that we have these these are technologies that we invented and, and they're giving gonna, them away. And we're giving them away. Now, here's the thing. You know, the, the metaphor that I use is that, you know, first rule of holes is you stop digging. So what we've done is we invented all the shovels. And now <laughs> all of the other countries are taking those shovels. What we need to be doing now is inventing the ladder to get out of it. <laughs> right. And, and we're doing the opposite of that. Let me get to this before we uh, run into our break here, because the EPA, uh, you, you've been, uh, Desi Doyen, on the Green News Report, you've been covering a lot of these uh, planned cuts at the EPA as right. we have come to uh, learn about them, as they're leaking out. And we're learning more and more about the specific cuts at the EPA. And this is uh, this right now they're talking about uh, cutting the EPA by 31 percent uh, and eliminating a quarter of the EPA's 15,000 jobs. That, by the way, even as we have reports this week that EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is now asking for a full-time 24-7 security contingent, an extra 10 security guards for him. 24 hours. 24-7. Uh, past administrators have only had door-to-door -door security protections where agents would accompany them to and from work uh, and travel with them to events and so forth. Uh, but uh, this was uh, from e, e News back in, in February. Myron E. Bell, the guy who had led the uh, transition team for Trump, uh, at the EPA uh, said that the additional security agents could help protect Pruitt from protesters and his department's own employees. 
because they're very not happy with the direction that they're taking. Is that well? Uh, they're going to attack him? No, of course I mean, not. Uh, yeah, that's what he's implying. He, well, he's yeah, not implying true. it. Ebell said it outright. He said, "I think it's prudent, given the continuing activities by the left, to foment hatred." And the reported hostility within the agency from some unprofessional activists within the agency. Well, these are people who think that having somebody say something mean to you on Twitter is an attack. Yes, that, that puts you in danger. Uh, the the uh, Let me get to some of these cuts here um, that the New York Times has rounded up here. Hiroko uh, Tabuchi over at the New York Times says that the cuts are so deep that even Republican lawmakers are expected to push back. Good luck. Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, for example, the chairwoman of the Interior and Environment Subcommittee of the Senate Appropriations Committee, pointedly reminded Mr. Trump last month that his budget request was just, quote, the first step in a long process. But let's look at some of these. Tap water. Flint, Michigan, still reeling from uh, its lead-tainted uh, water crisis there and the unsafe levels of lead that have turned up, uh, frankly, in city after city, not just Flint. Still, the EPA is now going to decrease grants that help states monitor public water systems by almost a third. The Public Water Systems Supervi- uh, Supervision Grant Program has been critical in making sure communities have access to safe drinking water. In Texas, for example, state contracted workers collect drinking water samples across the state, which is an effort that is funded in part by these federal grants that now the Trump administration and Scott Pruitt are planning to cut. Much of the risk to the country's water supply stems from crumbling infrastructure, public water infrastructure. Congress banned lead pipes back in 1986, but between three and a half million and 10 million older lead pipes still remain primed to leach lead into tap water. Criminal and civil enforcement. Sharp cuts are planned in the agency's enforcement programs that could curtail its ability to police environmental offenders and impose penalties. The budget proposal reduces spending on uh, civil and criminal enforcement by almost 60 percent. You're welcome, corporations. You're welcome, polluters. Yeah, they want to take the cops off the beat. That's entirely what this is about. I mean, because what you when you hear Scott Pruitt, when you hear Republicans, and this is all Republicans pretty much in the party that are talking as this, like this as well, they're talking about the costs, the costs of all these regulations, the costs of all this monitoring and enforcement and compliance. They never talk about the benefits. Well, the, the costs themselves are are already tiny. We're talking about the the uh, the the criminal and civil enforcement for the EPA was already ten million dollars. That's it. Yeah, ten million dollars. A lot of money to you and me. Uh, barely a penny amongst the uh, federal budget. Not not even close to a penny. So they're going to cut that to four million dollars for uh, for enforcement and eliminate, by the way, two hundred jobs in the bargain. Job killing. Just last week, the agency fined Sunoco uh, Pipeline, a subsidiary of the operator behind the Dakota Access Pipeline, which has now has oil flowing through it, reportedly. Uh, they, the agency fined them uh, nearly $1 million over a 2012 spill that sent 19, uh, almost 2,000 barrels of gasoline into two waterways in Ohio and forced the evacuation of 70 people. 
Um, and of course, uh, the Times, I'm glad to see them note that uh, one enforcement activity that will be set for an increase is that security for Scott Pruitt. Oh, sure. The security for Scott Pruitt would more than pay for the enforcement division for environmental crimes. The uh, agency is taking an equal opportunity approach to regional cleanup programs, proposing to virtually eliminate all of them in the Chesapeake Bay, the Gulf of Mexico, Lake Champlain. Uh, Long Island South, uh, I'm sorry, Long Island Sound, Puget Sound, San Francisco Bay, South Florida, the Great Lakes. Live near any of those? Well, we're getting rid of uh, the cleanup programs for those. This would be a loss of more than $400 million in federal funding for these uh, for these regions. And that federal funding, by the way, is money that is spent in those regions on jobs to clean these things up. Yeah, they're job creators. Toxic pollution uh, to stop invasive species, prevent runoffs from farms and cities. Uh, Much of the federal money has gone towards helping bring affected communities to the table to find solutions. So it's not all about big government, but it's actually bringing the community in. Absent that route, the paper reports communities could sue the EPA for failing to act and then ultimately run up the agency's bill. So all of that could backfire. The Superfund, I want to get to this, Superfund. This is uh, the the federal fund makes available uh, uh, funding for the cleanup of sites contaminated by hazardous substances and pollutants like the now defunct Wolf Alport Chemical Company in Queens in New York City. That was a designated as a Superfund site in 2014. That site is heavily contaminated with thorium, a radioactive metal with a half-life of 14 billion years that has been linked to higher incidence of lung, pancreatic, and bone cancer. And Superfund money is helping to clean up that thorium, and yet... We're going to cut that program uh, if this budget goes through. Right. And, and again, this is a this is a proposed budget. And I'm sure that many of the legislators and lawmakers in those states and in Congress will have something to say about it. Another Superfund program, a very critical one, is up in Washington state at the Hanford nuclear site where the nuclear weapons and missiles were made um, that we used in World War Two and since then. And that is actually leaching into the Columbia River, they fear, which is a major drinking water supply for several states. So these Superfund programs aren't just, oh, you know, here's a problem here. These are these are critical. You and your love for big <laughs> government regulations, Desi. Uh, <laughs> just one thing after another, looking at these details. You mentioned this on the Green News Report uh, the other day, Des. Uh, it has been barely a year since Volkswagen agreed to pay as much as $14.7 billion to settle claims from uh, its diesel emissions cheating scandal. Uh, and uh, the EPA has accused now a second automaker, Fiat Chrysler, of evading emissions standards as well. But the proposed budget cuts would all but eliminate the $48 million federal budget for vehicle tests and certification. So it actually brought in $14 billion, almost $15 billion from Volkswagen alone, but we need to cut the $50 million to test it and to catch it. Uh, Radiation protection and response uh, preparedness. When the 2011 Fukushima nuclear crisis in Japan sent radioactive plumes across the Pacific, the EPA's RADnet system monitored the fallout on America's shores. 
deploying additional air monitors in Alaska and Hawaii, Hawaii and ordering accelerated sampling of rain, uh, tap water, and milk. The proposed budget would defund the agency's $3.3 million radiation protection program and eliminate 60 jobs. It would also remove four jobs from the Radiation Response Preparedness Program. At a moment, I should add, when we are steaming uh, uh, carrier, uh, carrier group battleships towards nuclear-armed North Korea yep. as they prepare to uh, possibly light off another nuclear test this weekend. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Quick break, and we're back for, with our closing few minutes on today's grim and disturbing broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. I'll cheer you up after this. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah, but I would not feel so all alone. Everybody must get stoned. No kidding. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, all right, so well, this will uh, maybe cheer some of you up. Uh, maybe it'll cheer. It'll certainly cheer the folks in Canada up. <laughs> I think uh, fulfilling a campaign pledge. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau introduced legislation on Thursday in Canada to legalize the recreational use of marijuana across the entire country. Wow. Many nations have either either decriminalized marijuana, allowing it to be prescribed medically or effectively stopped enforcing laws against it. But when Mr. Trudeau's bill passes, as expected in Canada, Canada will become only the second nation, hadn't realized it, only the second nation after Uruguay to completely legalize marijuana as a consumer product, as if. Americans in the United States didn't already have enough uh, reason to want to flee north to Canada. <laughs> uh, and and by the way, since you played as the uh, everybody must get stoned, I need to be clear here because, you know, like with marriage equality, gay marriage here in the U.S., yes. it, it's not mandatory. Before you freak oh. out, it's not mandatory. You don't have to marry someone who's gay under uh, marriage equality. You don't have to get stoned. Just because they make uh, uh, marijuana legal across the entire country of Canada. The government's plan has been broadly shaped by a panel of experts. Many issues still need to be worked out, the Times says, um, before legal sales can actually begin. But this thing is expected to pass across the entirety of Canada. You know who shouldn't also shouldn't tell? Don't tell Jeff Sessions. He hates marijuana. He thinks that people who use marijuana are bad people. He well, really literally said that. <laughs> yeah. And so you know what they ought to do to keep that pot, that legal pot from coming in from Canada? 
they could build a big, beautiful wall across <laughs> the entire border, uh, the northern border, keep them out as well. That's, uh, I think, a good plan. To keep those drug runners who, who have packets of marijuana yep. stuffed in their calves like cantaloupes? I th- that's right. I think that's the, that's the least that we should do. Uh, of course, the uh, Canada's provinces are going to need to decide exactly how the drug will be distributed and how it will be sold. Each province is able to do to do that within their own boundaries. They'll have to uh, develop marijuana equivalents of breathalyzers and blood alcohol standards uh, and so forth. Uh, and this uh, comes after the court. It was interesting. The court mandated legalization of marijuana for medical purposes back in uh, in 1999. So their court is actually mandating wow. uh, that the, the nation of Canada sell it for uh, for medical purposes. Imagine that. Imagine our courts ever doing something like that. So, um, yeah, this will be interesting what goes on now in Canada across the entire nation. So there's some, let's call it good news, right? For Canadians. And here's some other good news for Canadians, right? Here's some uh, some other, uh, well, let's, let's go with uh, calling this good news as well. National Geographic articles in the year 2030. Uh-oh. We'll call this good news because it hasn't actually happened yet. These are somewhat satirical, if uh, frighteningly concerning in any event. This from uh, So these are future headlines. Future headlines uh, from the year 2030 in National Geographic. Okay. This is according to Bob Fulvov of uh, McSweeney's, which is a literary magazine. So here's some of those headlines. Uh, hey, remember forests? I miss forests. <laughs> These striking photographs show the best on-fire lakes from around the world. (laughs) Let's check in with the billionaires who escaped to an underground bunker nation as we descended into pandemonium. (laughs) Another uh, 2030 National Geographic headline, 95 degrees Fahrenheit in December. Is this the coldest winter in years? (laughs) Oh, man, it's terrible. Five ways the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency should use its $400 budget. (laughs) Oh, man. Seven stunning natural wonders that are now Trump hotels. (laughs) Know before you go the citadel where our biker overlords hoard the planet's remaining resources. Uh, And uh, let's see here. One more more from the National Geographic in the year 2030. Jumping into an active volcano because you've had enough? Choose from our list of the world's top volcanoes. (laughs) Don't give me any ideas, National Geographic uh, or Bob Fulvov at McSweeney's. But thank you for that. Uh, And my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, today. Thank you very much for all that you do today and every day. And to our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free along with all of our other shows anytime at bradblog.com. You can drop me email at bradcast, I am bradcast, at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog, where you can also take my Is Donald Trump Insane poll? Uh, also, my thanks to all of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate uh, to help us continue to do what we try to do on the air here every day. I think that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.